0: you should settle. Give up some $18,000 to just make this go away because you will pay more than that to fight this case. And I said, I think you missed the part of the conversation where I told you I didn't do anything wrong and I can prove it.
1: No doctor believes they did it wrong. They're going to say, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to fight this all the way to the Supreme Court.
2: Ah, Drick a time for the September issue of Risk Management Monthly. And on the Skype line, we've got a quite a crew. We've got uh, Greg, who's in uh, Ann Arbor, as
1: usual. Yes, Rick- in fact, the cold wind is blowing in from Canada right now. We're shivering and shaking. But you California people are all toasting in the uh, in the fires out there. So uh, you, you get our best. You get our sympathy here. Well,
2: the locusts are at the door. As soon as the <laughs> fires get out of there, the locusts will be in kind of thing. Yeah, I figured that, yeah. And our guest this month is uh, Natalyn Weiss. Natalie is uh, in uh, Salt Lake, and she is with a company called Legally Mine. And uh, we have never, ever done this. And we've been recording this thing for like eight, eight years or nine years at least. Yeah, 13, but who's counting, right? And, uh, you know, we're all about reducing risk and people getting sued and— what to do about it. And uh, uh, Madeline's company deals with a spectrum of things that can be done to uh, limit your financial risk in the case of a a suit. And uh, Madeline, welcome aboard and thanks so much for taking the time to be with us.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm excited to be a guest after all of these many years.
2: (laughs) Um, You know, we, Greg and I have talked in the past that um, most, and he's been the uh, president of two malpractice insurance companies, has reviewed over 2,000 cases of alleged malpractice, most of them his, however. Yeah, and, right. um, so he's kind of really been in this in terms of having a lot of practical experience. And his experience with doctors being sued for their personal assets is very limited. However, we both know of a case in Orange County, which was just a total disaster where all the doctors were gone after, um, largely because their documents were not properly, the T's uh, and I's and all of that other stuff. And so they pierced the corporate veil. They never had any corporate meetings officially, et cetera, et cetera. And they went after these doctors big time and all, everybody was suing everybody. And although it doesn't happen very often, that was a big-time case, big dollars. Uh, ultimately, it, uh, the doctors, I don't think, had to pay very much, but it was an example of what could ca- could happen. Um, so we're talking to, uh, who are listening, emergency physicians and PAs and NPs who work in emergency departments. and. In emergency medicine, a lot of us are independent contractors. We are not employees of the hospital. These are our our own practices. Or we contract with another group who has the contract to provide uh, physician services in the emergency department. So uh, a good deal of us are exposed um, in terms of being um, independent contractors. So I'd like to... You know, you sent us an outline, which is really very thorough, and I like to kind of just give you the ball and let you run with it and let us kind of add our two cents uh, periodically, if you would.
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, As we get started, the first things first are, are really, you talk about the threat of lawsuit, and I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of medical professionals make when it comes to protection of personal assets is that they think of it just like you talked about it. Well, I have medical malpractice insurance, And so for the large part, I'm protected from um, a lawsuit. Well, that might be true if it's a malpractice lawsuit. What we deal with in our world are number one, if there's a protection of personal assets, it's never going to your personal assets. So that eliminates the potential or the potential threat. But what a lot of people don't realize is that your, your vicarious liability and your liability do not stop in your office building. And what happens in America today is people don't just sue doctors in malpractice suits, they sue successful Americans for what they have. Uh, Matter of fact, the USA Today did a survey, a national survey, and they said, what is the number one way to be rich in America today? And the number one response was to sue someone. It It was deemed the fastest, quickest way to financial success in America today is to sue someone. Now that is a tragic commentary on our times, but it is unfortunately true. Uh, One of the reasons why I got heavily invested in this particular topic was that I was personally sued for the sale of my home. Um, I was a successful businesswoman, uh, was running my own company, and we ended up selling our home. And in the middle of the home sale, one of our employees came to us and said, hey, uh, you know, we have been trying to buy a home. We've never been able to buy a home. We'd love to buy your home. Um, We can't afford it unless you, you know, if we did this for sale by owner and you don't bring a realtor in, we could drop the price 3%. You you don't make any less, but we are able to actually afford a home. And we thought, well, there's no, it doesn't hurt us at all, but it helps somebody else. And we should do that for them. And, And they've been great employees of mine for years. And so we went ahead and did that. Well, a couple of days after we closed on our property, they turned around and sued us for the equity we had pulled out of the home and they cited 10 things we had done wrong in the cell of the home, all of which I had documented evidence to prove otherwise. But what ended up happening is I walked into an attorney and the attorney, I said, I, you know, here, they, here's the 10 things they said we did wrong. I can prove all of them are false. And the attorney turned to me and he said, you should settle, give them $18,000 to just make this go away because you will pay more than that to fight this case. And I said, I I think you missed the part of the conversation where I told you I didn't do anything wrong and I can prove it. And he said, well, I've got to educate you on lawsuits. He said, people come after those that they see that have something. If you have something and you did not previously protect it, there is nothing I can do to make this thing go away. That's the first lesson he taught me. The second lesson he taught me is that once you're sued, you have to respond. It doesn't matter how stupid it is. It doesn't matter how much evidence you have. It doesn't matter whether you could prove to 100 out of 100 people that you are innocent, you still have to fight the lawsuit. And this is where the number one problem comes in because you have to fight that lawsuit. The people on the attacking team, they're not paying an attorney. The defense is where you start to pay your attorney. So while they're filing one document, I'm spending 300 to $400 per hour, five to six hours per document they file to fight against this and he said i'm just telling you right now you will spend more than eighteen thousand dollars to fight this lawsuit
1: now, Rick, let, Rick. Let, let me just tell you having been involved in looking at two thousand cases and i i think that's still the record in emergency medicine in the united states no doctor believes they did it wrong right and by god when you start out with these characters they're going to say, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to fight this all the way to the Supreme Court. And yep. I have to shake them and say, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't listen to trash like this. <laughs> Shut up and let's talk about this yep. because the money does matter. And if you can get out of it for $12,000, sometimes that's the way to go. Now, none of us, it offends us, particularly doctors who – have never been short on ego uh it nothing offends us like having to kick in money we don't want to do it we think that you know we'd rather take them out you know and 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 get a hunting license for them but we can't do that and sometimes throwing in a few bucks uh, at least in in med mal is not a bad way to go
0: yeah, I ended up I ended up spending seven and a half months of my life, which I can only describe as absolute hell, and over well over twenty five thousand dollars just to defend myself in this absolutely stupid lawsuit that we never should have been in in the first place. And the two biggest things that I learned were that number one, I could have prevented it had I acted before a lawsuit ever was filed against me in protecting my own assets, and number two. That, the, that on defense, if you remain on defense, you always lose. Whether you win or not, you lose. If you have to play defense, you're going to lose. And, and that's the case. And when I was in the middle of this lawsuit, my employee turned to me. I said, why on earth are you doing this to me? And he said, because you have more than I do, and I need it more than you do. And he was dead serious. And so I want you to think, as medical professionals, your liabilities are not just in medical malpractice. That is a part of it but you have successful lives and people see that. They see doctor in front of your name and they make assumptions about what your life is like even if it's not that way. And you become a target for lawsuits both in the office and out of the office. And, when, and the time to protect against that target is before you're ever sued. And there are strategies and ways to do that. And that's what I really want to focus on today is that there are layers of protection that you can put in play that when somebody comes and looks at you and says, is this a good candidate to be sued? The answer is going to be absolutely not. And that comes with really taking the types of assets that you own and and breaking them into two parts. The first thing that happens in any lawsuit, and my attorney taught me this, is the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to look and say, is there something to get? These attorneys are not working for free. Is there something to get? Is there a big, cushy insurance policy to go after? Do they have personal assets? Have they protected those personal assets? Do they have homes? Do they have investment accounts? Do they have bank accounts? Do they have other assets? Do they have RVs, boats, toys? They look at all of this stuff, and then they look to see whether or not you own it personally or it's protected. And if you own all of this stuff personally, then it's like they are ripe for the picking and we're going in. And you would be shocked at how many people have their corporate veil pierced or their corporation dissolved because they didn't file annual meeting minutes or they didn't they didn't uh, file the right paperwork with the state or they were two days late on paying their renewal on their entity. This type of stuff happens all the time. But there are ways to put structure and strategy in place to protect yourself. And what I'd like to do is walk you through just a few examples of ways that you can protect your different asset types and put these things in place ahead of time. Do you have any questions before I do that?
2: No, sure. actually, uh, I, I would like to say that you may be hearing a lot of background noise here. Those are water-dropping helicopters and those um, 747s that they've outfitted to drop water. There's, there's a fire about 15 minutes uh East of us, that is that is a uh, cause
1: causing that. Wow. So it's so R- R- Ricky it's, it's may not have yeah Ricky may not have assets for very much longer. <laughs> so if somebody wants to jump in on this, I do it now. You know what? Please don't stand. My
2: son does live in one of the spots that is uh, very close to being uh, mandatorily evacuated, but uh, so far so good. Well,
0: yes, so, thank yeah. you.
2: We're we're more than interested, and I don't have any questions uh, okay. right now, no.
0: So the so the two things that you want to look at and kind of do a personal evaluation are that you, you have to protect different types of assets with different strategies. You have two different asset classes. The first one I want to talk about are what we'll call low-risk or safe assets. They're called safe assets be, or low-risk because all by themselves inherently they don't cause lawsuits. These types of assets would be things like bank accounts, investment accounts, cryptocurrency, gold, silver, um, artwork hanging on your walls. They're called safe because your artwork's not going to leap off the wall and whack somebody upside the head. Your bank account is not going to trip somebody on your sidewalk and cause a lawsuit. They they sit in places in which they don't inherently cause lawsuits, but they are what people want to take in lawsuits. So they're called safe or low risk for the low risk probability that they by themselves cause a lawsuit. Now, the reason why we separate them is because by by themselves they won't cause a lawsuit, we can put all of them in one location and it will be okay. The one asset will not create liabilities on the other asset. And so the vehicle that I'll talk about today that you can protect those with, there's a couple different ones, but the one we'll focus on today is called an FLP or a family limited partnership. Uh, The family limited partnership has been around a long time, Uh, but basically it's a unique entity type because it has both both a general partner and limited partners. Now, entity types that have general partners and limited partners allow you to take ownership of assets with less liability. And the reason for that is this. According to the bylaws, the general partner has 100 percent control of the entity. So if you were to take all of your safe assets and stick them in your family limited partnership, you can name a general partner and they have 100 percent control over all of these assets. And because they have 100 percent control, they also must have 100 percent of the liability. Now, the law says that the general partner has to own a minimum of two percent of that asset or that entity. So we put all of our assets into the family limited partnership. And we give the general partner 100% control, therefore giving them 100% liability, but we only let them own 2% of the family limited partnership. So if they only own 2%, what portion of all those safe assets are now held liable? 2%. Now your limited partners then hold 98% of the holdings of that family limited partnership. Now what you can do with that general partner is you could actually make them a property management company. Let's say you're married, for example, I'm married, I've been married for 22 years, very happily married, and we are not happily married because one of us is the quote unquote general partner of our relationship, if you know what I'm saying. If one of us had total control over our assets, that would probably not end well. So what we did is we set up a property management company. My husband and I own that property management company as 50-50 partners. That property management company is the general partner of our family limited partnership. Therefore, my husband and I have 50-50 control over our assets, but we've limited the liability on our assets to 2%. Any questions about how that would work?
2: So uh, uh, you and your husband, the family members, can be the uh, general partners of the family limited partnership?
0: Yes, and they can be limited. So my husband and I, as, as individuals, are limited partners. Um, because we don't hold any liability as a limited partner. But our but our property management company, which we both own jointly, is the general partner. So we have full control over our assets and full control over what happens to them, but we've limited our liability to 2%
1: of our total isn't, assets. Now, isn't this a sort of a co-mingling of responsibilities here? If If you own the management company... Uh, the management company owns the, what the 98% or the, the 2%, 2%. 2%, uh, now, is this a conflict of interest? Does the court look at this as just a sham? Uh, no, no lawyer wants to hear the term sham. Right. No,
0: you're you're, no, but you ask, you ask a great question though, because the important part here is the correct structure. You have to have what they call an innocent third party involved as well. So I can't, my husband and I can't own the family limited partnership 100% just the two of us and own the property management company 100% just the two of us and then claim to have limited some liabilities. To create a lawfully effectual partnership, we have to have an innocent third party in that family limited partnership.
1: What state are you chartered in?
0: Oh, so you can do this in, in any state. It's all about your state regulations. But for the, for Legally Mind, they leverage the states of Utah and Alaska are the two states that they use a lot of legalities in. There's Each state has some different bylaws. But if your family-limited partnership is structured in the state of Utah, as an example, or Nevada I'm, or Alaska. I'm
1: sure Alaska is for your frozen assets, is that right? <laughs> That's
0: right. It's only for frozen <laughs> assets.
1: Yeah,
0: Right, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so what what happens is if your family limited partnership is structured in that state, then you have the protections of that state. And you do not have to have a residence if, you're, if your attorney is an attorney of record in the state. Um, now, each state do, does things differently, but there are some federal guidelines on some of these entities as well. well so, as we go along,
1: yeah. let's be careful that we let people know that mm-hmm. they better check their own state, what the law requires, because uh, Connecticut, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the darling of the East, may have nothing to do with Alaska or Utah or anything like that.
0: So I'm
1: sure there's got to be state to state.
0: And there are. There are not not inside of a family limited partnership, per se, because a lot of that was held at the federal level. But there are different things inside of LLCs, and there's different protective laws and different tax laws and different ways that the entities are treated in a state-by-state basis. And I can I can give you a heads up on the ones that are specific to the states. But the Family Limited Partnership is, is fairly consistent, and, and mostly because that was generated at a federal level. Um, it actually has a, a long foundational history all the way back to the very wealthy families of America who were trying to pass major businesses and corporations and they had small children well i can't list my small child on a major corporation and expect the liabilities to fall on a 12 year old or a 12 year old's liabilities to fall on the corporation and so they created the family limited partnership as a way for families to pass corporate stock and ownership and high valued assets to even to children and so that's really where that came from
1: I'm sure we do not want to get into the finer points of crummy crown trusts and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, so, you're, you're perfectly correct. <laughs> yes. Well, so but, but I'm not off here on this, that that it does depend on the state.
0: No, you're absolutely you're
1: right. Yes.
0: You're absolutely right. Every every entity has state-by-state state guidelines, but I'm, I'm just telling you that there are some entities – where the state guidelines are remarkably different and some in which there is almost no difference across the board. And so we have done business in all 50 states and U S territories. And so we're quite familiar with the differences in the state by state breakdown. So I'll just say, I'm just telling you, I'll give you the flag, like this next thing we're going to talk about very different state by state. And you'll want to know because it'll change your strategy. So what we just talked about was our safe assets and leveraging A family limited partnership to hold those safe assets so that we eliminate our liability. There's only 2% they can come after now if an attorney is looking and saying are you a good candidate to sue and they and they see that you have a family limited partnership structured as such that as the general partner, they can only ever come to 2% of your assets. Well, unless your assets are extremely large. 2% is not going to be a big enough motivation for them to continue forward with the lawsuit. So then they'll look at your next asset class, and those are what we're going to call high-risk assets. These are tangible assets. These are homes, properties, businesses, equipment, toys, RVs, cars, vehicles, land. It is the tangible, physical assets that all by themselves can create their own lawsuit. For example, if you have a rental property, that's one of the highest – a lawsuit creating assets a person can actually own and so these are these are properties or assets that by themselves could cause a lawsuit for them because by themselves they could cause a lawsuit we cannot put them in one location we can't put them all in one entity type and hope we're okay because what happens is the day you do that one assets liabilities will bleed onto the other one let me give you an example of this let's say you own three pieces of real estate and one of them caught fire Now, if they were all sitting in the same LLC, for example, you owned three pieces of real estate and they were all owned by the same LLC and one of them catches fire, what's available in the lawsuit? It's not just that one property that caught fire and burned your renter. It's all three properties because they're being held in the same entity. So if you put them all in that container, you're not limiting your liability. You're you're maximizing the liability and attaching it to other assets. So one of the strategies to use when you have a lot of hand or a lot of physical assets is to have multiple entities uh, holding those. Now, this is where state-by-state rules get really interesting because you look at California as an example. California is the most expensive place in the nation to set up an LLC. They charge you 850 some odd once and every year thereafter where in the state of Utah I pay $20 just as an example for the same LLC with the same protective privileges. But in the state of California, they have things like called a land trust. Then the land trust can be used for your land and your home, and it's free. And the state of Utah doesn't have that. I need to leverage my living trust or my LLC to protect my home. Um, In the state of Texas, they have series LLCs where I can have one LLC and it has 15 different containers inside it, and I can separate my assets out into those individual little entities and I'm great. Nevada has series LLCs as well. And so what you're looking at is the concept. The concept is you do not want high-risk assets sitting in the same container. Now, when you are a, a medical professional, this is maybe the biggest mistake medical professionals make in increasing their liabilities in a lawsuit in their own practice, and the reason is this. They own the practice. Let's say they own the practice in the name of Natalyn's LLC, and I'm a physician, and I own my practice. Now, my merchant account is attached to Natalyn's LLC, and my, I, I bill insurance companies to that LLC, and then I go out and I buy a new piece of equipment with that LLC, and my bank account is with that LLC, and my employees are hired by that LLC. So I took all the cash, all the incoming cash, merchant accounts, billing, uh, cash, tax, all of it is sitting in that LLC, and then I go get a piece of equipment, high liability, attached to that LLC. Employees, high liability, attached to that LLC. I just put all of my liability and all of my assets in the same container. So when somebody comes looking for a lawsuit and they say, well, what's available to take? And they look, they're like, everything. I can take your equipment, I can take your cash, I can take your account, I can take it all because it's all in the same bucket. And so what we teach people to do to mitigate that liability is to separate those assets out, hold the cash in a different entity than your liabilities are held. Buy that piece of equipment, for example, or buy all of your equipment with a separate entity so that the equipment being used is not bringing liability to your cash flow. Um, we, we have people that, that set up what they call a employee management LLC, and they'll hire and, and leverage their employees if they have them from a different entity so that the vicarious liability of their employees never comes back on their equipment, their office building, or their cash flow. And so the idea, again, is when you have these high-risk assets – Separate them so that the, if something happens in one spot, it cannot attach itself to everything else you have.
1: Let and me it, ask a question. Yeah, go right ahead. Um, I, again, forgive me. I'm, I'm just a simple country boy here. No problem. <laughs> but what I, what, what I want to know is if I'm running this corporation, whether it's a group of emergency docs, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and we have employees is anything that we put aside uh, under penalty of law? For example, we we send we send off money for their uh, for their taxes. Mm-hmm. We have imp- um, retirement plans, all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Are any of those going to be uh, subjected to uh, scrutiny for a lawsuit
0: that we're in? you know, that, that our employees are really not it, a part of. It depends It depends on where you put them. So we've worked with some medical professionals who have had accounts like a bank account and they have sub-accounts and they'll pull cash out of sub-accounts and set it here to use that to fund employee benefits. Uh, it, the, a lawsuit, an attorney, he does not care why that money is sitting in the bank. What he knows is it's sitting in the bank and the second you're sued, that asset is frozen and you cannot touch it. And so if you leverage bank accounts or human resources services that are handling your payroll and they're doing collective tax and withdrawals in places like that, that is an untouchable thing because it has been set aside and it's been pulled out to cover taxes or to cover a 401k program or whatever you might have. If you are doing self-funded or self-perpetuated employee benefits and you're leveraging just savings accounts traditionally to do those programs, you could find yourself in those in that money is being set aside could absolutely be attached in a lawsuit
1: so set aside monies could also include for example you have uh four dependent children who you're putting money into their college funds and all that sort of thing those are all protected uh out of harm's way from a lawsuit is that correct
0: No, only if you're using certain types of accounts for that. So if you're using uh, government tax uh, laden or benefited accounts like uh, 554 accounts, or uh, it's not 554, I just had a mind blank on the college fund accounts, five something, 540 something. That account, if you're using that for college funds, yes, those are protected. But if you're just setting money aside and your child's name plus your name are on them, if they are dependent children and part of your household, those accounts can absolutely be counted as assets in a lawsuit, and so you want to be you you want to make sure that these things you're doing. This is this is why people get into trouble. Uh, it's why I got into trouble. I didn't realize that there are so many things that they could attach themselves to. When I got sued, I was like, "Well, they sued me for the equity in my home, so it's going to stop there." And my attorney said, "No, that's not where it stops. It stops when they receive the amount of money." that they receive because when you chose not to settle you chose to fight now it comes down to how much do they decide to take at the end of the day and when they decide to take that amount you get to liquidate whatever it takes to get to that place and if there's not enough in liquidation then they can use what's called the charging order to come after current and future incomes and if you own your own company that charging order means that instead of receiving a distribution yourself you get to give that distribution to the plaintiff until they've been paid in full and so there are so many tools attorneys have to take things from you. The key is if you're putting some barriers in place, if you have all of your safe assets, for example, uh, locked up in a family limited partnership and an attorney looks at you as a, as a target and says, huh, I can only access 2% of those safe assets. Um, everything else is being held in a non-liable way. Um, and then they look at your high risk assets and they say, huh, well, I can't get to all of those other assets because they're not attached to this lawsuit. Well, now I can't get to your safe assets, I can't get to your high risk assets, and then we work on protecting your income. To give you an example of how this works, I want you to think of Disney. Disney is always a fascination. When it's not COVID time, COVID time in this nation, you have a million people a day walk, walking through Disney's parks. So let me ask you, if I, before you were to perform your emergency services, how many pieces of paper does a patient have to sign Uh, before you perform your services, on average.
1: Endless, endless, I'm
0: sure it is, yes. Endless, right, seven, eight pieces of paper. Have you ever noticed that Disneyland, Disney is a $130 billion corporation, but anyone can buy a ticket, they can be in any health condition of any age, they buy a ticket, they waltz right through the door, and they get on all those high-risk rides, and they never signed one thing to limit Disney's liability. How is Disney getting away with that? Have you ever thought of that? No. They're getting Not. away with it because they're leveraging a strategy like this. This is literally how it works. Let's say a woman goes and gets on a Thunder Mountain Railroad and she hurts her back on the ride and she decides to sue Disney for this ride. So she goes in and they say, oh, what time did you get on the ride? She says, oh, two o'clock. So they go in and so they say, oh, there you are. You got on the ride at 2 o'clock. We see that. And uh there you are. You got on Goofy Train number 4, Goofy Cart number 2. Let's see who owns Goofy Train number 4. Oh, Goofy Train number 4 LLC. Your lawsuit is with Goofy Train number 4 LLC. So what's available in the lawsuit? Goofy that train. train. Did the the attorney that's involved doesn't want that train. What are they going to do with that train? And so guess what ends up happening? There's, if there, when there's nothing to get, there's no lawsuit. So lawsuits get dropped. Walmart does the same thing. Walmart sees more lawsuits from their parking lots than anything else. The bad surprise people run into is that they don't realize that the Walmart parking lot is owned independent of the Walmart store, which is owned independent of Walmart's cash flow. So if something happens in a Walmart parking lot and you sue, do you know who your lawsuit is with? It's with the Walmart parking lot number 14, if it's the 14th store, LLC, and it's only, its only asset is asphalt. Here's a pickaxe and a shovel. Take all you want. We'll replace it. But there's nothing to get. And so one of the ways corporations protect themselves is through these various levels. And, and what we teach people is you can do the exact same thing. You can take your assets. You can break them down. You can leverage the LLC. You can put in different entity types. And what people don't realize is you can live in the state of California and if you have an attorney, for example, that can be a registered agent for you in the state of Utah, you can actually hold all of your assets in the state of Utah. And therefore, you pay 20 bucks per LLC. You can have four LLCs separating those things out. You paid 80 bucks. If you were in California, you'd have to pay 850 just to set up one LLC. And so this is just a way of creating a strategy that puts layers in place. So again, an attorney coming in and looking at you says, huh, are you an easy target? No, you've got a family limited partnership protecting your safe assets. I can only get to 2% of those. You've got these individual entities. So now even though something happened in your, your equipment, your equipment's being held independently by this entity. So I have no access to the practice. I have no access to your personal assets and I have no access to your building or to your cash flow. The only thing that is being sued here is the entity that held the equipment, and there's not enough in there for me to feel good enough to go after it. Um, and so what happens is it, it really puts barriers up to going through this. Now, now, you said it yourself at the beginning of this, what you have to then be worried about is if you go create these layers of protection, how do you make sure that they can't pierce the corporate veil? Or In 45 out of 50 states, they can now do corporate disillusion. So they just dissolve the entity as if it never existed. How do you protect against that? And what uh, what I use personally is a holding company. So you can use a holding a holding company can actually hold your entities. And if you have that holding company in the right state, this is where I use Alaska. Alaska has two clauses in their, their business setup. One is an anonymity clause, so they do not have to release my information as the owner of an entity. And the other is corporate doesn't allow corporate dissolution. So if I have my FLP and my LLCs being held by a holding company, well, that holding company can't, if they were to pierce my entity and say, who owns this entity? Oh, it's an Alaskan holding company. Well, who owns the Alaskan holding company? Don't have to tell you that. Well, who owns well, – well, then let's dissolve it. Let's dissolve that Alaskan holding company. Sorry, you can't. Alaska doesn't allow dissolution. So if they can't pierce and they can't dissolve and get any further in their in – their, they just get bumped up against this holding company, um, then that works real well. Now, Alaska is not the only state that, that allows that. Alaska is not the only state that has a holding company. It's not the only state that has anonymity and um, – and non-disillusion, there's, there's two other states that do similar things. You've probably heard about people say, ooh, I like that Nevada corporation, or ooh, I like that Delaware corporation. The reason why people talk about those particular states is because they don't allow piercing or disillusion because they have anonymity clauses and they don't allow disillusion. That's why people use them, because they're not getting their corporate bell pierced and they're not getting disillusion that's putting personal assets back on the table. Any questions about how that works?
1: Well, I'll tell you right now, Rick and I, when we do this show, usually know something about what we're talking about in the, uh, the lawsuits or the medicine that's involved. We know nothing about this stuff, and uh, I guess the average person wouldn't, yeah. unless they they were had somebody guiding them through this uh, minefield. Well, you know, because that's why I wouldn't know.
2: That's why yeah. we decided to do this because. Um, it clearly is related to the theme of risk management monthly no question and uh clearly nadalyn has a conflict of interest but we are being educated and uh, and i think that um i must admit i didn't know anything uh, none of this i i must admit also it sounds like it's uh, complicated, especially when you're setting up all of these li- uh, limited liabilities for all of these entities, like your equipment, this, that, the other thing. Although, fortunately, emergency physicians, we own nothing. I mean, we, we go to work with a stethoscope in our pocket and we leave work with a stethoscope. We don't have an office or employees. Right. Um
0: now there's, now the, the advantages that you guys have in some of that and not owning your own equipment, there are definitely advantages, but keep in mind that this is why, this is why you can take advantage of legal services companies. Now, the, and, and and as you mentioned, I do have a conflict of interest, but I'm trying to be very, very uh, uh, bipartisan here, if that's a, if that's a word <laughs> we can use. Um, there, are, there are several legal companies out here that do these types of services, but what you're really looking for is you're really looking for a company that puts several services in the same place. And what I mean by that is each thing that we're talking about, if you have your, if you have your practice, uh, you know you, your income, let's go to your income. We talked about your low-risk assets. We talked about your high-risk assets. One of your primary assets that you don't think about as an asset is your income. You think about assets as things that you buy with your income, but good heavens, if they take your income before you ever get to buy things, that would be a real problem for you. And there is a law out there that I want you guys to understand, and it's called the charging order. Now, what the charging order originally – it originated to actually protect doctors, but like so many laws, uh, it has a negative effect on the backside. So what happened is there were some lawsuits where the doctor lost the lawsuit, and to satisfy the lawsuit, they sold the doctor's practice right out from underneath them, sold it for the value. And got the, they, they came back in and they fought this and they said, you know, if my neighbor down the street gets sued, you don't get to go sell his job. You don't get to sell his job and take his income. Now you've taken my client's income. How are they supposed to make an income? And so what they did is they came up with the charging order and the charging order basically says, well, we can't sell your practice, but we can just take everything from your practice. It basically gives the judge the right to put you on a small salary and then take the remaining balance of what your practice earns and pay it out as a distribution to the plaintiff. So, let's say you're a 1099 situation and you're getting 1099 250,000 a year. Well, the uh, the judge can come in and say, "Well, we're going to put you on a salary of 110,000 a year and then we're going to take the remaining 115,000 and we are going to pay it out as a distribution to the plaintiff." well, you just lost over half your income and the judge has every right to do that because the charging order was ratified in all 50 states. And when it was ratified, the bylaws of your entities were changed to give the judge that right. Now what's amazing is the bylaws have three, there's three pieces in the operating agreement that allow the judge to do because you are the owner of your entity, have every right. To modify all three of those pieces of operating agreement. Most people just don't know to do it. And you can change the pieces of that operating agreement that essentially remove the judge's ability to do this. Um, and it's called charging order protection. But if you go to the if you go to an asset protection attorney, they will absolutely know which three clauses in that operating agreement must be changed and what they have to be changed to, so that you are not forced to give a distribution to a plaintiff. Now, what happens with this, this is very cool because what happens is this is the first time in history as a doctor you will ever play offense in a lawsuit because here's what happened. If you if there's a lawsuit, let's say you're sued for a million dollars and and the plaintiff wins. Who's the first person that ever gets paid in a million-dollar payout?
1: The, their attorney, probably. That's
0: exactly right, the attorney. <laughs> but who's the second person? This is a little lesser known fact. Do you guys know who the second person is to get paid? No. It's the IRS. So the IRS gets to take 30% of a settlement as income tax. So if there's a million dollar payout, the IRS is getting a $300,000 paycheck. Well, what happened is these charging order cases went and a million dollars was ordered. And in that million-dollar distribution, the plaintiff had to pay the the IRS $300,000. Well, then you go in and change your operating agreement and don't give the judge the right to force the distribution. And the judge goes in and he says, oh, I I issued a a million-dollar charging order, but I have no right to force the distribution. And the doctor decided not to give himself a distribution this year. Therefore, I can't give the plaintiff any money. So plaintiff has no money. So the IRS gets no money. Well, the IRS never gets cut out of anything. So they actually passed a ruling. It's actually IRS ruling 77-137. It's very fascinating. What it basically says is if a charging order is used in a lawsuit, whatever judgment the the judge issues, if it's a million-dollar judgment, then that plaintiff owes um, the taxes on the million-dollar judgment. And then it goes on to say, irregardless of whether the plaintiff ever receives a distribution, it's called phantom income. They have to pay that $300,000. Well, if your operating agreement is set so that you get to choose when and where you create a distribution and you don't ever issue that is- distribution, that plaintiff has to pay $300,000. Where are they going to get the money? Not your problem, but it is definitely theirs. And all of a sudden You're not playing defense all the time. You have an offensive weapon because when the attorney comes in and says, huh, you want to sue this doctor? Well, let me see. I can't get any of their safe assets. I can't get to any of their high risk assets. And now if we go after their income, the most likely outcome is you owe taxes on money you're never going to get. Now they have a ramification for suing you. Now there's danger for suing you. It's not just upside potential. Let's, Let's roll the dice and see if we can get anything out of this guy. Now, if they win, it's bad for them. And so what happens is we see as people put these structures in place, you've protected your safe assets, you've protected your high-risk assets, and you've protected your income, and you are no longer a target. Matter of fact, you are repelling lawsuits because you are the worst person in the world they could even attempt to sue because they they end up paying these bills. Now, these attorneys, if they do not tell their clients that the high risk potential for them of this lawsuit is that they owe taxes on money they can't pay, they are set up for a malpractice suit. So if they end up owing taxes on money they didn't receive, they can turn around and sue their attorney for malpractice and the attorney has to pay the taxes. And so it really created, that, that one thing right there creates unbelievable protection for you. And so again, that's operating agreement amendments That are using charging order protection and good asset protection attorneys know exactly how to handle that
2: Madeline this sounds like there are a huge number of documents that need to be created and that they have to be kept up and third party entities involved and so it 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 sounds like um, quite an affair if you decide to go down this down this path
0: Now, I, yeah, if you try to do it by yourself, I would absolutely agree with you. Um, I did that actually when, after my first lawsuit, I was so determined, I would never be put in that corner again. Like I, I hated being put up with my back against a wall and feeling like I had no choices. I lost, I was in complete, I had no control over what these people could do to my life and family. And I, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how, what that felt like emotionally but I was one determined woman that this would never happen again. And I spent about two years of my life putting all of these pieces in play and learning everything I had to learn and doing it as an independent. I then later found uh, some legal services companies and law firms that they do all of this on your behalf. And it is shockingly less expensive than you would think. And they manage the entire process for you. And it takes a lot less of your time than you'd think too.
1: Madeline, I I hear you speaking and all of a sudden, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned comes to mind. Hey, don't, mess, don't mess with her. <laughs> don't mess with you, exactly right. Because okay. basically what you, what you told us is you were motivated to do this, make this life change, because somebody messed with you and uh, it didn't go well. Now, I know half a dozen people who have gone to law school uh, just because they got sued. And by God, they were never going to let this happen again. And um, I I know one woman who's basically now made it her life's work uh, to teach other doctors about lawsuits because she got into it. But but as you're telling me this story, I'm thinking, you know, with with two martinis in you, I'm sure you've got a lot of interesting discussion about this case. Uh, yeah it, it sounds like uh it was uh, a learning experience is that a, well, is that a fair yeah, thing yeah.
0: absolutely and i think it's because a lot of times we we feel very comfortable you know we are we are blessed we live in a great nation we have freedoms we have jobs we have successful careers and life is going pretty good and what you can't see coming is that it is one knock at the door what happened to me is it it was a saturday and they love to deliver lawsuits by the way on nights and weekends because that's when they know you're home but what are you doing on the nights and weekends it's finally when you decided to relax to stop worrying about things to just let, let loose and kick back for a minute and we were having an amazing saturday afternoon and we got a knock at the door and they hand you a piece of paper and tell you you've been served and i can't begin to describe what that feeling is other than if you've ridden a really bad roller coaster and your stomach drops and it stays in your toes for a good quality period of time. That was what that was like. And, and I was a mother of, of several children. I've got four kids. And, and what it feels like to have this linger in your thoughts. It, it's, it's with you in the shower. It's with you at work. It's with you at home. It's with you at church. Everywhere you go, you are constantly burdened by a thought that someone is trying to take everything from you. They are trying to ruin your life. And you don't have any control of to make it stop. Well, and it's
1: interesting you say that because of all the people I worked with, and again, I, I went to court hundreds of times, the commonest comment from the uh, people wasn't how happy they were with the, when it was over, but that it was over. Yep. The pain had stopped. Make it and stop. Make it stop. Yep. Is the most common phrase I ever mm-hmm. heard. Nobody come up and said, "God, we were right all the time, and and this, that, another thing." They didn't get any money, and yeah, yeah, nope. What yep. they want is no more pain. Yep. Well, doc, doc, doctors are terrible to each other. Well,
0: when you look this at this, sort of stuff. you look at this, and there were a hundred million lawsuits last year. A hundred million just in the in the case of of tort lawsuits, which is they're just going after damages, a hundred million and 70% of them, seven out of 10 had a payout, a settlement payout. And it was because it's because when you are on the, the offense is not paying anything and there's no risk to them. They can come after you. If they win, they win. If they lose no pain as a, when you're on the defense, you are paying out the nose to defend yourself. And there's no way to make it stop unless you want to pay to settle. And so the only way to make that so that you never live through that hell is to act before the suit ever happens and put some layers of protection in place. And when somebody looks at you to sue, I mean, we've had people, we have literally had people that have been sued and then the suit was dropped within 72 hours. My brother is one of these people. Uh, My brother, I come from a family practice uh, my my grandfather ran the family practice he handed it down to my father my my brother now runs the family practice and we had we had never had a lawsuit in our family practice and then here my brother uh ended up in a suit but i had set him up on this program and he had gotten himself in order and 72 hours later after a, a single phone call from the attorney that basically said hey you guys can continue the suit but we just want to let you know there's nothing you can get and after walking him through his asset protection strategy, the suit was dropped within 72 hours. They just said, never mind, we're not going to pursue this lawsuit. And and we have seen this happen over and over. Matter of fact, I had a, a doctor in Salt Lake City that after we did a presentation for them and kind of talked about this strategy, he came up afterwards and he gave me a hug. And I said, oh, my God, I, I don't know who this person is. And he said, you know, my teenage daughter got in a car accident and the person – that was the person they got in the accident with found out I was a successful physician. And so they decided to sue for emotional damages that went way beyond the bounds of the car insurance.
1: Of course. And,
0: um, and he said, and, and this lawsuit, they, he said, you know, I had them contact the services and next thing you know, the suit was dropped and that happened because there was nothing to get. That's the most important thing you have to learn from this, this little podcast. When there is nothing to get, there is no lawsuit. Because the offense is working on the come. If they can't get a big win, they won't do it. They are always judging. Here's here's how much work has to go into it. If the payout doesn't get to here, they can't earn a profit. The payout can't be here, and it can't be here. It has to be here. If you set yourself up so the most they can ever get is here, you don't ever reach the threshold of where an attorney looks at that and says you're a good candidate for a lawsuit. And that's That's the goal.
1: And there's the downside, too. I mean, obviously, in Utah, you could sick Donnie and Marie on them. And, uh, and that, that would be that, – that could be awful, you know. Yeah.
0: Hey, I happen to be a Donnie fan. Marie, yeah. not so much, but Donnie,
1: I like. Yeah, well, I'm a little bit country myself, but I'm a little bit rock and roll. So, uh, but you, you understand the point I'm making here. That uh, if, if that's always, Yes, okay. Now,
2: on, on your outline, there's a thing here about LLC versus FLP.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, can you go through that a, a little bit? I think I think what you're saying is what you need to do is do a family limited partnership.
0: Yep. The the FLP is for your safe assets because you can put a lot of things in one location because they don't they don't have inherent risk all inside of themselves. The LLC is used as a completely different tool and it's for high risk assets. So the okay. FL- the versus is really just to say FLP if you've got safe assets, LLCs if you've got high risk assets, and and if you have both, then you can then you you may need both.
2: Can I ask you um, in a physician practice, um, typically how many how many LLCs get formed?
0: Um, three to four actually is about the average. And again, what they'll do is in the state of California, for example, they'll have the practice itself will be set up as an LLC that's taxed as an S corp or a partnership or whatever your, your up and structured as. And then they'll set up LLCs, uh, legally mine does it this way. Anyways, they'll set up LLCs in the state of Utah to actually separate out your equipment, um, your building, your employees. And they do that because in, because they don't want to have you pay the high fees that, that California charges you for multiple entity types. Now they will leverage the California land trust if you own your own building, or if you own your own home, or if you own your own land, um, because that is a really cool thing that California has that not all lot of other states have. Um, and in some states, you have really solid homestead law protection that will protect your home. But one thing I wanna make clear, a lot of people have this misconception that, well, I have a home, but there's a homestead act. They can't take my home. That's not accurate. Uh, every state is really different on this. And I'll give you an example, in the state of Utah, they'll protect up to $150,000 of equity in your home. But if you have more than that in equity, it can be on the line. They can force you to take out a second mortgage, they can force you to sell the home and retrieve the, the additional excess out of your home. Um, every state is different. Texas has really strong Homestead Act laws. Florida has pretty strong Homestead Act laws outside of that everywhere else i mean if you have good equity in your home you've got to protect it in a different way than just relying on homestead law oj
2: simpson lives in florida and it doesn't matter how expensive your house is
0: that's right
2: it's protected
0: that's right exactly like a million dollars in florida and then and then there's caveats to it that, that say, well, then you have a secondary property and you have a third property and you had, this was a, home, a mother-in-law property that creates an attachment. They have so many different things, but not every state is like that. And so you don't, what you don't want to do is you don't want to make assumptions. You don't want to assume, oh, I've heard this Homestead Act protects my home. Well, if you don't live in Texas and Florida, then no, the Homestead Act is probably not going to help you very much. Um, I've heard that I have to have an asset irrevocable trust, because that's the only way to protect my assets. Well, an irrevocable trust can be a valuable tool in your arsenal, but it's not what I would recommend to put all of your assets in because it often protects them even from you while you're living. I much prefer the approach where I want you to have control of your assets. I just don't want you to own them. (laughs) There's a a great quote that says uh, wealthy people own nothing and control everything. And that's actually very true. Um, they don't own anything themselves personally because their corporations own them, but they have perfect control over everything. And so there's a place for things like the living trust. There's a place for things like an irrevocable trust. And there's a place for other asset protection measures. And I would just strongly recommend that you take the opportunity to do an analysis of your own life and each person is different. Uh, each person has is, lives in different states. They have different assets but I would encourage you to look into this. And, and one of the biggest reasons I'm a big proponent of this, I didn't learn this until years after I had gone through the process of putting all of these things in play for myself. But each one of these entity types has tremendous tax advantages. And so what you'll find is if you go through the process to get yourself structured, you will save more money in taxes than you ever spent in legal fees. And now all of a sudden you have significantly greater peace of mind. You've got asset protection, you've got estate planning, and you're paying way less in taxes because you're capitalizing on great tax code that exists for for business owners, um, and and between those combinations, you create a really strong reason to take care of business for yourself.
2: What if you have a, a an estate plan already in place?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and how, how does their, the interdigitation of um, what you folks do and your your own attorneys?
0: Yeah. So what we look if somebody already has a solid estate plan, what we do is we do asset protection and then we make sure those protected assets flow into the state plan the way they were originally pictured to do so. Because like if you don't have an irrevocable trust, if you have just a living trust, it's not considered asset protection. Uh, Things in that trust are accessible in a lawsuit. But if you have a protected asset that is then tied to the trust, it is protected. And so you have to look at, it depends on what kind of state plan you have done. And whether it has any measure of asset protection or not. But what we normally do is we protect people's assets and then we flow them into the trust the way they wanted them there in the first place. They're just a protected asset now that sits in that trust.
1: Gotcha. Rick, Rick. Where, are we, Rick where are we time-wise here? We got lots I, of time. we
2: got lots of time. But we're going to go to right.
1: – uh, we basically we – we have a ton
2: of time. So that we're into an hour. We have about 15 minutes left and so um actually diane do you want to turn your mic on do you have any would you like to ask Natalie the question
1: um very interesting talk a lot of what you said i i understand we used to do some of that um when you do a family-induced partnership, you said you'd need a third party, innocent party. Who would that be, your kids or something like that? It
0: can be a child as long as they're over the age of 18 and they don't live in your home. So you you can't have a a, chi- a dependent child cannot be considered innocent third party. They have to be an adult living on their own. So, yeah, you could use a child if they're an adult. Um, you could use a trustee. Like A lot of people will actually do that innocent third party and set it up like a trust, and then have the trustee be the partner, and therefore they they uh, are simply following the the rules of the trust as opposed to taking any real control over the structure itself. But those are some of the ways that you can do that. Would that be a gift to your adult child?
2: May, would you get a little closer to your mic, please?
0: Yeah. Would, did you say would that be a gift, a gift to your gift adult
1: child? To your adult child. In other words, you transferred ownership into the FLP.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: child. So you had that, you know, you and your husband weren't owning everything and doing everything. Wouldn't that be a gift?
0: You can do it as a gift or you can actually set it up as a part of a, a trust and an estate. And since you have some, I think they changed yeah. it now to 11 point something million, 11.8 million dollars worth of, mm-hmm. of assets and cash that you can pass on to a child and a trust. Um, then you can actually leverage a trust for that very purpose.
1: Yeah, what if your kid is lazy and stupid, and uh, you'd like to take them out and slap them publicly? And don't, uh, that, pick,
0: don't pick that one. Oh, don't pick oh, okay. that one.
1: Well, that's that's very good. We need we know, we always need to know these things because yeah. at least with my children, it's on a day-to-day basis whether I'm yeah. going to leave them. Uh, you know, it either goes to a home for wayward cats or it goes to them, and it's it's close. And, uh, day by day, I have to decide.
0: Well, yeah. keep in mind, keep in mind that you have, so you have your general partner, they own 2%. Your limited partners own 98%. Um, you can have that third party own 2% as a limited partner. They have no control, they have no liability, and it's 2% of your total assets. And the only way that's ever going to, to get them anywhere is if you sell one of those assets or create value with that asset. And again, if it's if it's a child, it can be something that's funded into a trust, Um, There's all kinds of things that you can do in in those setups, but it's just really important. It comes down to why it becomes really difficult to do these things on your own. If you were to just go say, oh, well I set up a general partner and a limited partner and I'm good to go. And then what you'd find out is that your FLP can be breached because you didn't structure it properly. And so it's just really important to have the right people involved. I, in doing this myself, I probably spent $20,000 more than I needed to than if i would have just had the right services do it for me and and it was one of those cases in trying to save money i spent a whole lot more money and time than i should have in the first place because i made mistakes and had to go back and redo things and are you trained as an attorney
1: are you trained as an attorney no,
0: no i actually was uh in law school headed that direction and then i got married and and ended up doing starting my own business and going into entrepreneurship so since then i've uh I didn't get a chance to really introduce myself, but I, I have since then started. I've started and sold seven different companies. I've, I have been a consultant for about 28 different companies. I've I've traveled the world. I've been able to work in in about 32 different countries around this beautiful world of ours. And I work as a business consultant. I've worked with start to billion dollar companies, and I I do growth phase transition into mergers and acquisitions.
1: So, are, are is COVID hurting you at all at this moment in time? <laughs>
0: Uh, not not so much. I'm semi-retired. I, uh, I sold my seventh company. It was a mobile app development company and kind of moved into retirement. And and now, really, uh, I do passion projects only now. And so I, I'm very blessed and, and very grateful for for having the ability to really get home with my kids during COVID. I have four amazing kids and uh, a what wonderful – What about
2: the rest kid. of the kids? Are they not the amazing ones? No. Well, I, amazing.
0: I only have four, and they're all amazing.
2: So I also know that you're a soccer coach, uh,
0: high school
2: soccer coach. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Tell me, uh, are you a, a, a consultant, uh, or an or employee or some, you have some relationship with this company called legally mine?
0: Yeah. So I, for legally mine, I just do education. I mostly do uh, CE and CME level education. So I educate on the concepts and the topic. Um, mm-hmm. I am a client of legally mine, but mm-hmm. I'm not an employee. Um, I, I, so I have used their services. They have done well for me. They've done good work for me, which is why I'm not afraid to, to refer them as a legal service for people who need that work done like this. Um, but, yeah, I, I am an educator for them and independent contractor.
2: Got you. We just want to make sure everything is clear. In, oh, yeah. In-
0: I have no problems. I have no problems disclosing that.
2: Well, you know, you make this sound uh, you know pretty appealing. Uh, you make it sound pretty complicated and something that should be outsourced to somebody who uh, knows how to do this and that there are a lot of moving parts and that I would think that the moving parts keep on going year after year in terms of refiling and t- keeping up and this that and the other thing uh, but uh, what is something emergency physicians are basically uh, probably the simplest doctors that these this company would deal with we mm-hmm. don't own offices you know we, we really we just kind of show up but we are don't want, we don't want to deal with the you know the the gardener who cuts himself and gets infected and have to you know
1: right, right.
2: all of those things if somebody falls off your roof or the or the like, um, so uh, we're we're kind of like simple kind of um, doctors. Sure. Any idea what something is? This is this a twenty thousand dollar project? Is this a forty thousand dollar project?
0: If you were to go to traditional attorneys, then yeah, you would you'd run roughly in the 20 to $25,000. But Legally Mine actually does, they, they specialize with medical professionals and because of that, they've packaged it. And so uh, they have a package. If you needed everything that we talked about today, they would it would be $8,400. And they offer with that a tax savings guarantee where they will save you the full $8,400 they charge you or they will charge you less for your services. Uh, their first year, uh, their first year offer basically is we will only charge you what we can save you in taxes. And they do a free analysis for you and kind of walk through your situation and help you decide whether this is good for you, what parts you need, what parts you don't need. And if you needed everything, you wouldn't pay more than $8,400. Um,
2: Greg has been uh, locked out on this um website so he has been calling me saying but i realized that you haven't moved in a while greg and i now i understand why uh so greg's off um so i think we could wrap it up here I, i want to thank you a lot for uh coming on and taking the time with us um i thought it was really very 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 interesting um um it, it, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense uh, to tell you the truth because especially when there are young physicians they have a they have a 35 year career that they have to protect right. and I talked about doctors you know who prematurely uh, burn out and and instead of 35 years or 20 years but this could essentially result in something like that because uh, a substantial portion of their income could be taken And and frankly People spend, and, and I I'm not a client, and you know I haven't talked to you know anybody in particular about anything there, but I can tell you for eight, uh, for eighty five hundred dollars, most people you know spend more on that on their, on their dinner bills on some of that you know kind of thing, you know.
0: Yeah, um, it's really, it's really great, and and like I said, they they actually do a there's a link. It's lm two zero dot live. It's lm twenty live is what it is. And anyone who wants to go there, it's a free what they call it is a free risk assessment and a free assessment of of what what this service could do for you. That's kind of where I recommend people start. Just start by figuring out what, what do I need? Let's 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 have these people help me know for my personal situation, what do I need and how much could they save me if I did it, and then make some decisions from there. Um, but I, I love that they do a free analysis because I think everybody needs to just be able to see it for themselves and figure out what they personally need and how that would work for them personally.
2: Got you. Got you. Um, I, I guess in, in addition to the $8,400, there's all of these filing fees and the like which are, are added on and which get paid to the various entities, the states and the feds and whoever they're being um, um whoever's running the show in terms of those other entities and i think what about recurring uh costs in terms of are other tax forms that have to be completed in the like
0: right yeah there's a they have a service that you can do that's their annual service it's it's 2400 a year and that is where they manage everything for you they keep everything updated they make sure everything file your your annual meeting minutes with the state on your behalf they you're, you're basically given electronic signature once a year on your entities and then they handle everything for you to keep everything in good standing and, and keep every, your estate up to date and with that they they also provide some 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 work with your compliance side of things to make sure you stay in, in line that way also so they have some good services and and that also includes their tax services annually as well.
2: Well, Natalie, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, it was really, uh, really enlightening. And Greg, I'm sorry that uh, we lost you. Um, that we don't have any more opportunity for your bad jokes or anything like this wrapping up the session. So th- that's uh, Response Monthly for sure. September 2020. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next month. Bye for now.